0: Good morning, church. I have the pleasure of reading to you from Revelation 3, verses 5 and 6. Revelation 3, verses 5 and 6. In the same way, the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes, and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. May God bless the reading of his word. Angie, thank you for doing our reading. Kari, man, where's your team? So good. We're ready to come to the table, but you're going to have to wait a few minutes. You have to listen to the sermon first, but then we'll come to the table. (laughs) Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we ask now that the Holy Spirit would teach us that he would open up the word to us and speak through me what you want us to hear because the spirit is speaking to the churches and we have ears and we want to hear. Help us hear. Lord, bless those who are hearing online, who are away from us. Bless them spiritually. Minister to them as well. We ask all these things In that beautiful, wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. It was 1987, and I was on my way to visit for the first time my ancestral home in Greece. I had been ministering in Asia for three months, in Indonesia, the Philippines, and India. I decided I'd come back to Hawaii around the world and take a little side trip, and so I went to Egypt and saw the pyramids, went to Israel, saw the garden tomb, was on a a ship on my way to Athens looking forward to seeing Greece for the first time. And I had what maybe a lot of people had in their mind. I'm thinking of the glory of Greece. I was thinking of amazing architecture that I was looking forward to seeing, buildings like the famed Parthenon. And I thought of how Greece must be an athletic place because they are the the founders of the Olympic Games. And I thought, well, what else? Well, wisdom. It's a place of wisdom. Um, Since geography and philosophy and mathematics and physics and biology and astronomy are not only Greek words, but the Western world got these sciences from the Greeks. And There's also modern medicine that came to the Western world through Hippocrates, who is a 5th century B.C. Greek medical doctor. And he had a famous oath we call the Hippocratic Oath. And it goes for a couple pages, but portions of that modern doctors would would swear. And it goes like this, I will abstain from all intentional wrongdoing and harm. Neither will I administer a poison to anybody when asked to do so nor will I suggest such a cause. Similarly, I will not give to a woman a pessary to cause an abortion. And this oath, passed from the 5th century B.C., was taken by doctors, even modern doctors, up until today. But many doctors no longer take the oath, of course, because it forbids doctor-assisted suicide and abortion. Well, when I got to Greece in 1987, I quickly discovered... That Greece's glory is in their past. I looked around at the 20th century architecture. It's an eyesore. Just stacks and stacks of concrete structures, floor after floor. And athletics, I looked everywhere for it. I went out jogging in the streets. Everybody stared at me. I was the only person <laughs> jogging. Athletics now seems to be mostly watching professional soccer players on television while sitting at outdoor caffinians, sipping really strong coffee. And the Hippocratic Oath is customarily violated in Greece. I'm told that the number one method of birth control in Greece today is abortion. So Greece's glory seems to be In its past. And the same is true of the church in Sardis, the fifth of seven churches that we have in Revelation, chapters two and three, that the Lord Jesus writes to. And it's a church whose fame and glory was in the past, as was the city itself. The city of Sardis, we'll show you a slide of of where it is here in case um, you don't remember. In Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, you'll see the seven churches with the seven stars, and Sardis is there in the middle on the right. 700 years before this letter was written, the city of Sardis was one of the greatest cities in the entire world. The king of that area, which was called Lydia, the king of Lydia had his throne in the city of Sardis, and it was a wealthy city, and part of its wealth was the fact that its rivers were flowing with gold, literally. But the city, by first century A.D., when this letter was written, was in a decline. It was degenerating, as Sir William Ramsey said. The name Sardis in the Greek language is actually a plural noun because it was a twin city. There was one city historically that had been built high on an Acropolis on a hill. And I think we have another slide, we'll, we'll show you that. Um, you'll see the hill there, and the, the city was there. And they could defend themselves from enemies easily, 1,500 feet high. But down below, they built a second city, and you can see some of the ruins there. Let's see the next slide of the ruins down below the citadel. And a few more slides here. These were taken um, when I was there in 1988. That is a picture of a 2nd century A.D. Roman gymnasium. And the word gymnasium is a Greek word. It comes from the Greek word gymnos, which means nude, nude. And the reason they were called gymnasiums is originally they were a place of athletic competition where Greek males competed in the nude, and women were forbidden to go to the gymnasium. Well, the gymnasium grew to a place where not only did they have athletics, but they started having public baths. And they added libraries and teaching, and it became a real center. And so here is a picture of a Roman gymnasium, another picture, of the next one. And if you look, there's a really small person in that arch with a red jacket. That's what I looked like in 1988. That's me standing under the arch, fully clothed, I might point out. <laughs> Look with me at Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 as we read this letter that Jesus himself writes to this very real church. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, and you are dead. Jesus shows up to this very famous and impressive-looking church, what might be called a happening church, a name-it-and-fame-it church, and he says, you are a dead church. You are dead. The church apparently had made a name for itself in the community and in the area with all its church activities. It was famous. It put on a good show. Everybody was impressed with this church except one person, the person who mattered, Jesus Christ. And he says, you are a dead church. I love tropical flowers, and I have cut tropical flowers in vases all over my house, placed there every week by my beautiful and thoughtful daughter, Taylor. And they are beautiful, and they are dead, because they are cut off from their life source, and that's why they have to be replaced on a regular basis, and whether it's a church or a flower or individual Christian, when you get cut off from your life source, you are dead no matter how good you look on the outside, because Jesus does not measure the success of a church by the world's standards of numbers, nickels, and noise. He measures it by its connection with the life source, who is the Holy Spirit. Unlike the previous four letters where Jesus offers commendation, some attaboys, to the pastor and the church, as he writes, this church, he has no attaboys, no commendations. He starts with condemnation. But just like all the seven letters to the seven churches, Jesus reveals a vision of himself to the church that is specific to that church's problems. In each of the seven letters, he takes a portion of the vision of Jesus given to us in chapter one and gives a portion of it to the church. Remember, as I shared with you, my pastor in high school, Pastor Ed, would say, the problem is not the problem, and the answer is not the answer. When you're having problems in your life, you can trace it back to a problem with your relationship with Jesus Christ, and the answer is to get a fresh vision and to get your relationship right with Christ. And the problem with this church is that they needed a fresh vision of Jesus, and notice the vision they needed it says in verse 1, as they see Jesus, they see him as he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. What does that mean? There's an outline in your bulletin. or If you're listening online, it's under the PDF icon. The background, first thing, the seven stars, what are they? That phrase, the seven stars, is a reference to the seven pastors of the seven churches the seven pastors of the seven churches. That's explained to us in chapter 1, verse 20. All throughout the book of Revelation, John explains to us many of the symbols that he gives. And he says in chapter 1, verse 20, as for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw, and this is Jesus speaking, in my right hand. What are the seven stars? And the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches churches. So the stars represent the angels of the seven churches. And if you've been here for the previous sermons, you've learned that that word angel comes from the Greek word angelos. And angelos just means messenger in Greek. And in the scripture, sometimes it's a two-legged messenger and sometimes it's a two-winged messenger. And in Revelation, it obviously cannot be a winged angel or messenger because these messengers are told to repent, or they're dead, or they have things that an angel can't have. So he's speaking to the pastors of the churches, who then present these letters to their churches. The seven stars is a reference to the seven pastors of the seven churches. Well, what about the seven spirits of God? What is that? The seven spirits is a reference to the Holy Spirit, to the Holy Spirit. John uses this phrase in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 for the first time. Turn there, Revelation 1, 4. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, Asia Minor, Turkey. Grace to you and peace. And then he mentions the Father, Him who is and who was and who is to come. And then he says, from the seven spirits who are before His throne, And then he mentions the Son in verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. He mentions the Father. He mentions the Son. Well, who's in the middle? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is referred to as the seven spirits because seven is the word of completion in the Bible. And he's talking about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So he's represented as the seven spirits and the church needed the fullness of the holy spirit because they were dead now if you are a jewish listener to this you might immediately remember isaiah the prophet in chapter 11 who talks about the sevenfold holy spirit if you have your bibles or your bible app you might want to turn there with me amazing passage of scripture isaiah chapter 11 Part of it has already been fulfilled. Part of it is yet to be fulfilled. And if you believe the first part is literal, which has already been fulfilled, then you have to take the second part as literal. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Isaiah predicts, then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David, and Jesus is in the line of King David. So this is a reference to Jesus. Jesus. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And then he says, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Here we have all three members of the Trinity. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Lord, which is in all caps, which is the personal name of God, Yahweh, the Father, will rest on him, Jesus. And notice he says, what kind of spirit will rest on Jesus? He gives us seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit. He will first be the spirit of one, Yahweh will rest on him. He will be the spirit, number two, of wisdom, number three, understanding, number four, the spirit of counsel, number five, the spirit of strength, number six, the spirit of knowledge, and number seven, a spirit of the fear of the Lord. And so, Isaiah tells us and describes this sevenfold spirit. The fullness of the Holy Spirit will be on Jesus Christ. Now, he goes on in verses 3 to 9 to talk about the Messiah's kingdom and how he's going to reign on earth. And this is talked about in Revelation 20. We're told it lasts for a thousand years on this old earth. Now, when you read... Isaiah 11, 3 to 9, you read that and you go, well, that can't be the new earth where everything's perfect, and yet it's not now, it's some in-between time. It's better than now, now is good, this is better, but what's described here is not the best, and it is that 1,000-year reign described in Revelation 20. Let's read it, beginning in verse 3. And he, the king, the Messiah, will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge the poor. So he'll be on earth during a time where there are still poor people, and he'll judge and decide with fairness for the afflicted on the earth. Well, will be a time where there's still afflicted people, and there's still unfairness, but he will rule fairly. Well, that's not now, and it's not the new earth. It's this old earth during the millennial reign. Notice some other things that will happen during this millennial reign. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Well, there's still some wicked people, so it's not the new perfect earth. And slain with the breath of his lips is described in 2 Thessalonians 2.8 and Revelation 19.21 as well. Also, righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. He's going to rule the earth with faithfulness and righteousness. It's going to be a better place, but it's not yet the best place. And look what else. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb. Well, that's not happening now. And the leopard will lie down with the kid. Well, that's not happening. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little boy will lead them. And the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. Well, that's not happening now. So this isn't now. It's future. But it's not the best world. It's the better world during his millennial reign. And the nursing child will play by the hole, the cobra and the wean child will put his hand on the viper's den, they will not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain, that's Zion, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now there's so much to say about this, but we don't talk about this till we get to Revelation twenty, and at the rate we're going, that's gonna take about twenty years before we get there. But our point here is from the first few verses that we see the Holy Spirit described with seven characteristics. And so this is the Holy Spirit. And the reason the church in Sardis is called a dead church is because they are not experiencing the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And that's why they needed a vision of Jesus Offering them the Holy Spirit because it is the Holy Spirit who gives us spiritual life. Remember what Paul said in Romans 8, verse 11? He talks about how the Holy Spirit gives us life. Romans eight eleven. But if the Spirit, and here we have the Trinity again, that's the Holy Spirit, Of him, that's the Father, who raised Jesus, that's the Son. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. The Holy Spirit gives us life through the Spirit who indwells you. The Holy Spirit gives life. And in Galatians 5.25, Paul says this again. In Galatians 5.25, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. When he says live by the Spirit, that's when you got born again. You came alive, and you can only live the Christian life through the power of the Holy Spirit in you. You may recall how I've told you in the past that physical creation has in it demonstration of spiritual truths. We're told that in Romans 1.20, that God put in creation things that you could see to help you understand His invisible character. And one of the things that you see in creation has to do with the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, written in Greek, the word for spirit and the word for air Wind and breath are the same word. It's a word that we often pronounce as pneuma. We get words like pneumothorax, pneumonia, pneumatic tires, because pneuma means air, wind, breath, but it also means spirit. So when you're reading the Greek New Testament, you see the word pneuma. You don't know if it means spirit, air, wind, or breath until you see the context The same thing is true in the Old Testament. The Old Testament word for spirit, wind, breath, air is ruach. And when you read the Old Testament, it's the context that tells you. And that is not a coincidence because the Holy Spirit is what gives us life. And when you came out of your mother's womb, your life outside the womb began with a breath And your life outside the womb ends with your last breath. And you cannot live as a Christian without the first breath of having the Holy Spirit making you born again. I don't know if you've almost suffocated. You cannot live without a breath. I was laying in emergency room in Castle suffocating from a blood clot. And there are only two things I wanted to do. One is I wanted to breathe. I was suffocating. And the second thing is I wanted Frank to know I was going to miss my appointment. <laughs> you cannot live without the Spirit. You can't live without a breath. And that's why God, I believe, has put in us that every moment of your life, you have to take a breath or you will die. And if you are not breathing spiritually of the Holy Spirit, you will die spiritually. Key principle there in your notes, the Holy Spirit is your breath, your very life. Life. The Holy Spirit is your breath, your very life. And the church of Sardis had stopped breathing. And Jesus comes with oxygen. He's coming with the Holy Spirit, the seven spirits of God, and says, you need the Holy Spirit. It's impossible, impossible, impossible to live the Christian life without the Spirit of God. I want to remind you or tell you for the first time, if you haven't heard it, the acronym that's helpful for us in terms of spiritual breathing, it's the acronym D-A-Y, because you need it every day. The D stands for desire. You have the desire to have the Holy Spirit fill you, lead you, guide you, teach you. You've got to want it. And then you should ask. That's the A, ask. Yes, Holy Spirit, Lord... I don't know how to handle the situation. How do you want me to treat that person who's mistreated me? How do you want me to handle this money that I have? How do you want me to deal with my health issue? Whatever it is, ask. And he'll tell you. You go, I never hear him. Well, then you're not listening. He is always speaking. It's usually that still, small voice that tells you something that you weren't already thinking about, and maybe you didn't want to do it. Forgive. Forgive. Well, I don't want to forgive him. Lord, what do you want me to do? Forgive, be merciful, be gracious, be kind, be patient. Give him your money, give him your house, give him your boat. Notice I didn't say motorcycle. (laughs) Listen for the Holy Spirit, and then why is yield? Are you going to yield to what he says? You don't have to. He didn't force you. You're not a robot. You have a choice. But if you don't yield to the, the leading of the Holy Spirit, then you've got to start back at D again because you didn't desire it. Desire, ask, yield to, for the Holy Spirit to lead you. I would venture to say that all of your family problems, all of your problems at work, in church, in all your relationships, with yourself, even with God himself, all of your problems will either be solved or greatly reduce in intensity if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's even better if the other person is too, then, you know. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you have love, you have joy, you have peace, you have patience, you have kindness, you have goodness, you have faithfulness, and you have self-control. Because that's what happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're told in Galatians 5. Back to our text in Revelation chapter 3. Jesus goes on to write to this church in verses 2 and 3. And he says this, wake up. Wake up. That's a Greek word that's hard for me to pronounce because it's got a couple rolled R's. But Grigoreo. In Grigoreo, we get the name Gregory from that, by the way. And it says here, wake up, Grigoreo. It literally means to keep watch or to look out. So if you call someone Gregory, you're saying, look out! You know, <laughs> Watch out, keep awake, and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. If therefore you will not, wake up! Or keep watch, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. Now that was stinging rebuke to Sardis especially because of their history. As I mentioned, the city, the ancient city had been built high in Acropolis, 1,500 feet high. And so they figured they were safe from attacks. In 549 B.C., King Cyrus, the king of Persia, brought his army to Sardis. His army stormed up the sides of this cliff, and they got up there and they discovered that the watchtowers were unmanned. There were no guards watching, they hadn't kept watch. And they captured the city. Well, 300 years later, the same thing happened again in 214 BC under Antiochus Epiphanes IV. He was the king of the Seleucid Empire, and his men went up to scale of the cliff, and he got up there, and the watchtowers were unmanned. They didn't keep watch. And Jesus says, come on, you guys, keep watch. I'm coming back. Wake up. And if you're not filled with my spirit, you're not going to like it when I come. For the unbeliever, the coming of Jesus is a terrifying, unwelcomed experience. But not so for the believer, verse 4. But you have a few people in Sardis, a few Spirit-filled people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy He who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Garments are the outward representation in the book of Revelation of inward character. The outward representation of inward character. We know that because in Revelation chapter 7, John sees the martyrs with white garments and he's told that their garments were washed in the blood of the Lamb. Their sins have been forgiven and so they have garments that are white to show that their character has been purified. So Jesus gives three promises here and the first promise is this. He says, those who overcome... And we know from 1 John 5, 5, overcomers are those who have placed their faith in Jesus. Those who have placed their faith in Jesus, he says, first of all, shall be clothed in white garments. That represents your character. Here's the first promise. If you're taking notes, number one, Jesus promises to purify your character to purify your character. Not remove your character, but to purify it. Those are the white garments, the outward expression of your inward character. When Jesus resurrects you, you're still going to have your same basic personality and same basic character. Otherwise, we'd all be the same. He wouldn't have to resurrect. He'd only have to resurrect one of us if we're all the same. It'd be pretty boring. You're still going to be you. I'm still going to be me. But our character gets purified. If you're a jokester, you're still going to be a jokester. It's just that your jokes are all going to be clean. (laughs) (laughs) If you are shy, you're still going to be shy. But you're not going to be shy to the point of running away from responsibility or service to others or wallow in self-pity. If you're loud, you're still going to be loud. But you're not going to be rude and loud. If you're a take charge leader kind of person, you're still going to be a take charge leader kind of person. You're just not going to run over other people to do it and hurt their feelings. You're going to have a purified character because you've overcome through Jesus Christ. Jesus promises to purify your character, and God knows you need it. <laughs> and so do I. So do I. There's a second promise he makes. He says, I will not erase his name from the book of life. The book of life is an important book. It's a book that lists everybody who has eternal life. And that's the most important book to have your name in. I used to always make sure I wrote my name in my books so when I loaned them out, I'd get them back. <laughs> Didn't help. <laughs> it doesn't really matter if my name is in those books, but I want my name in the book of life. Look what happens if it's not in that book, Revelation 2015. Revelation 2015, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, some people read this, and Jesus says, I will not erase your name. Does that mean it can be erased? Some people see it as a, a threat. No, he's saying it can't be. It's a promise. I put it there. I wrote it with my own blood. Your name is there not because of what you do or don't do. It's because of what I've done. I will not, and the word not there is a double negative in the Greek. In English, a double negative cancels, but in Greek it intensifies. He goes, I will not not, (laughs) which means never erase your name from the book of life. So what's the second promise? Jesus personally guarantees your future. Jesus personally guarantees your future. How incredible. He guarantees it. I will not erase your name, he says. He guarantees it. And then he says, I will confess his name, her name, before my father and before his angels. This is the fourth time in six verses that the word name is used. We already saw that the church had a name, but it was a false name. Jesus says, I'm going to confess your name. A name represents character who you are. And he says, I'm going to confess who you are before God and his angels. I'm going to stand beside you. Here's the third promise. Jesus promises to defend your name. To defend your name. When you're at the judgment, when you're before God and all of heaven, and someone says, what is she doing here? What is he doing here? And you got Jesus next to you? And Jesus confesses your name? Jesus says, This person is holy and pure and righteous. I defend their name. That is Jesus. That's the best. That is the best. This church had a name with the world. Who cares? You want a name with Jesus. You want Jesus defending your name. And he promises these three promises. To those who overcome, those who have placed their faith in Jesus. You may be thinking, but I've never placed my faith in Jesus. What about me? Well, you're pretty much host. <laughs> Unless you do. It's up to you. Choose. Jesus says, I'm either going to come like a thief on you and you're not going to like it, or I'm coming to defend your name. If you put your faith in me. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads as we pray and I ask those who are serving communion to come and prepare the table. And as we're praying and our heads are bowed, I don't want anybody to be host. I don't want anybody to miss out. If you've never asked Jesus to come into your life and save you, forgive your sins, why would you wait a moment longer? If you believe he died for your sins, if you recognize you need a savior, if you believe he rose from the grave and you desire to rise from the grave and spend eternity with him as well, then call out to him now and just say, Lord Jesus, I believe, please save me. And he'll defend your name. He'll save you. Before we end, just hear this verse that we heard earlier in the, in the sermon from Romans eight eleven. If the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you, then just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, so he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Thanks for being here, church. Have a great Sunday.